When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. You can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 163 of Sorta Awesome, and I want to say thank you again for continuing on with us through this, the year of the awesome. You know, we are all about not just saying we are awesome, but really becoming awesome people for the world around us as we focus on becoming smarter and stronger and more social. Something that we share with you every single week to help you in your journey to becoming more awesome is the Sort of Awesome newsletter. Every week you can look for it to fill you in on the latest episode. There's other show information. There's reading links that will inspire you to be smart and strong and social. And because you know I love those GIFs, I include a GIF party in every edition too. So to make sure that you are signed up for the newsletter, it's super easy to do. All you have to do is go over to sortaawesomeshow.com slash newsletter. Easy peasy, you will get all signed up. That's sortaawesomeshow.com slash newsletter. Here we are at episode 163 of Sorta Awesome. And you guys, I just could not possibly be more excited about this episode. Anyone who has kids, or even anyone who knows people who have kids, have said, or at least thought to themselves, gosh, I wish kids came with a manual or like a how-to guide or even just some tips and tricks for parenting. Guys, I don't know how else to say this, except that the parenting guide you have been needing and wanting is here. It's called How to Be a Happier Parent. It's written by KJ Delantonia and Awesomes. KJ is here with me today for this episode of Sorta Awesome. Hi, KJ. Welcome to Sorta Awesome. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm such a listener, so I'm so excited to be actually talker, I guess, for this (laughs) today. Oh my gosh. We are so excited to have you here. And I have to tell you, when I picked up this book, it's a brand new release. When I picked it up and in the introduction, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the book we all need. This is completely in alignment with everything that we are about at Sorta Awesome. I am so excited that you were able to fit it into your schedule to come and talk to us about it today. This is awesome. So fun. Well, I know lots of you are already familiar with KJ and her work, but in case you're not, here's a little rundown. 
five years of editing the Motherlode column for the New York Times, taught KJ this, that family can be a source of joy, not just stress. But as you all might know, for many of us, it's not always so joyful. So KJ's reporting and research on parental happiness led her to this new book, How to Be a Happier Parent. KJ writes regularly on the personal and policy aspects of parenthood for the New York Times and other publications. She's also the co-host of the Hashtag Am Writing podcast. KJ lives in New Hampshire with her husband, her four children, out on a farm with assorted horses, chickens, dogs, and cats, which they all play a role in the way this book came together. That was so fun to hear about that part of your family life. So we're going to get to all of that. We're going to talk parenting mantras with KJ today, since I know you guys love a top 10 list. We have 10 parenting mantras straight from KJ's new book to share with you. We're going to get to all of that in a minute. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. That moment in the show where we stop and tell you about the books, the TV shows, podcasts, movies, products, whatever it is that's making life a little bit more awesome for us right now. So KJ, I know you have a little something special to share with the awesomes this week. I do. I have something that I thought was awesome. It is a book, but not exactly a book for reading, although I did read it. It's called The Curated Closet by Anushka oh. Rees, R-E-E-S. Okay. And the subtitle is A Simple System for Discovering Your Personal Style and Building Your Dream Wardrobe. Oh my. So it's one, <laughs> yeah, so I'm done. I have my dream wardrobe. No. Yes. <laughs> kind of like a simplicity book, but for only your closet, which is like a very manageable chunk to tackle. And it's so much fun because it's like, define your personal style in six words. And my personal style is sporty, urban, and classic with a touch of color or whimsy. That was fun. And then you pick your colors and go through your wardrobe and try to, so it's not like a capsule wardrobe. And I love Courtney Carver, but it's not 30 pieces to sort of just more like get happy about your clothes. And I went through my closet and this is like the time of year when we're all doing that. I feel like you're sort of, it's too soon to flip clothes for fall, but we're all thinking about it. And so anyway, I just had a lot of fun with that. And you can just read it purely for the aspirational pleasure too. <laughs> awesome. I love those kinds of books. Just inspire me and maybe I'll do something maybe about it. I'll and maybe, I won't. <laughs> maybe I'll just have another sip of my wine, but yeah. Exactly. Okay. Tell us again the title and the author, because I'm going to put the link in the show notes for anybody who wants to go check this out. It's called The Curated Closet by Anushka Rees, R-E-E-S. Perfect. Okay. Well, I think we're on the same wavelength this week because what I have for my Awesome of the Week has to do with just that very thing that we're moving into fall and we're thinking about, what am I going to wear this fall? I think that I have found the perfect fall boot if you want to kind of play around with one of the trends for fall 2018. So Ooh, is it a booty? I need a booty. It is. Yes. <laughs> I totally was looking for booties yesterday. Okay. I think it is. Now I feel a little bit nervous now because I'm like, what if a booty is not what I think a booty is, which I we'll find like out. a booty is an ankle boot. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Then I have found. An ankle boot. Yes. That's what I have brought for you guys for Awesome of the Week. We just recently had an episode 160. Allison Lombatis came to the show to talk about all of the fall trends for fall 2018. And one of the items she mentioned that's a must have for this season is a pair of taupe booties or ankle boots. So first of all, that left some of us in the awesome community wondering, what exactly is taupe, first of all? <laughs> 
So I did a little digging. I thought I knew what it was, but I was close. I thought it was more like a tan or a camel color. But as it turns out, it's actually kind of a grayish brown or a brownish gray, depending on. Okay, I, I would have gone with the tan too, but okay, I'm ready. Yeah, I, I was surprised. My phone I it... here, so I can look at the picture of this when you say what it is. Perfect. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you. I found them on Amazon. Now, these are going to be boots if you just want to try out this trend at this price point. You guys, these are not like your investment boots. Okay, these are just if you want to play around with the trend. Go to Amazon. You're going to look for a boot from a company called Refresh. The brand is Refresh, and it's the low heel slip-on ankle boot. And I will for sure pop a link to these into the show notes. But I'm so boring when it comes to boots. I do have several pairs of boots, but in the past, I've always gone with either brown, like a dark brown or black, which is fine and basic, but a little boring. So I thought I'm going to have some fun with this trend, but I don't want to spend a ton of money on it. So I have to tell you that depending on, you know, sometimes prices can fluctuate well, a little I'm on Amazon. I'm giggling because the taupe is $30, but the tan is only $17. Oh, there we go. Exactly. Well, black so. is $35. Burgundy you can get for $16. I mean, and of course, your prices may vary because you know it's all about what Amazon thinks we're going to pay. Exactly. It's so true. That's what I was going to say. Depending on your color, your size that you're looking at, let's just say they're sort of in the $30 range. Yes. They're cute. <laughs> I got these. I was thinking, $30, I don't know. Are these going to be wearable? But I wanted to try it out. And they're totally wearable. They're a great fit. Again, not going to be the boots that you're going to hang on to for years and years. But if you want to give this trend a try without sinking a lot of cash into them, because Lord knows, boots can actually get really expensive really fast. But you can try this out. And if they only take you through this fall and winter, you probably got your money's worth out of them. So yeah, I just thought they were so fun. And I know lots of people, like you said, KJ, are kind of like, keep seeing booties. Everybody's wearing booties with a dress, which I'm torn between, man, that looks so cool and stylish. And that's totally wrong. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. On which part of me is talking, but I know. Um, yeah, I know. The 41 year old woman part of me that's used to boots like looking a certain way, especially if you're going to wear them with a dress. I'm also like, can I pull this off? I don't know. I'm going to give it a try. We'll see what happens. Uh, we can pull anything off because nobody else is paying attention really other than I guess me who's out there going, I want booties, but that's, you know, that's okay. Exactly. Awesome. If you also were a little intrigued by what Allison said about grabbing a pair of taupe booties for fall 2018, we've got the hookup for you. All you got to do is go over to the show notes and you'll find the link to these on Amazon. And if you guys have found some other great booties out there that KJ and I could check out as we're refreshing our closets for this fall, please do send them our way for sure. We will look forward to that. Yeah, I could exactly. just say booty, booty, booty. <laughs> Which is actually, when I say it like that, more meanings, but I, you know, <laughs> the more often we can say the word booties during the course of this podcast, I think the better it'll be. I mean, honestly, as I keep saying it, I'm thinking about how many people listen to Sort of Awesome with their kids, like in the car or when they're cleaning around the house. And they're short and you know, boots. <laughs> but you know, everywhere kids are like dying laughing as we're, we keep saying booty over and over. <laughs> Okay, so you guys, these were our awesomes of the week. We always love and look forward to hearing what is awesome in your life right now. So just as a reminder, every Friday over on Instagram, we ask the awesomes of Instagram to share with us what's awesome in your life and the awesome of the week over there. And long time, long standing tradition in our sort of awesome hangout group, we open up the floor 
for Awesomes of the Week in our awesome community on Facebook as well. So on Instagram, you can find us at, at Sorta Awesome Show. And over on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. Awesomes, I'll tell you what, I cannot believe it has been 22 years since my cute, sweet college boyfriend got down on one knee and proposed to me. One thing that we didn't have back then that I think is so awesome that couples have now is Zola. Zola is the wedding company that will do anything for love. They are reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in their couple's lives even happier. From your engagement to your wedding to decorating your first home, Zola is there. Signing up for Zola is free and easy and it's fun. In fact, over 500,000 couples have used Zola. That's because their awesome registry has everything you love about your favorite department store. Plus, you can add things like honeymoon funds, fitness classes, wine subscriptions, and so much more. Zola's incredibly easy to use website makes it so easy for both couples and their guests to pick the perfect gift. And speaking of gifts, the group gifting feature lets multiple guests contribute to those big ticket gifts on your registry. So if you or someone you know and love is getting married soon, go ahead and sign up for Zola and get a $50 credit towards your registry, but only when you go to Zola.com slash awesome. That's Zola, Z-O-L-A.com slash awesome for a $50 credit toward your registry. Okay, Awesomes, I'm back once again to rave about Kopari and their amazing Change Your Life Natural Coconut Deodorant. Not long ago, my friend Stephanie texted me out of the blue to tell me this about Kopari. She said, I bought the coconut deodorant you recommended and it has changed my life. After suffering through severe eczema in my armpits, I am so wary of aggravating my sensitive skin like all the other natural deodorants I've tried. But Kopari coconut deodorant really changed my life. I smell good all day and my skin is healthy. Thank you. And thank you was in all caps, by the way. That's because you guys, Kapari's coconut deodorant is aluminum-free deodorant that doesn't suck. In fact, I'm wearing it right now. Instead of plugging up your sweat glands, Kapari's deodorant takes care of any smell without messing with your body's natural patterns. And most importantly, it works. It fights odor with plant-based actives such as sage oil and coconut oil, and it outlasts your longest days. It's gotten tons of love and rave reviews on its website. So many people are now coconut converts because of Kapari. This is Kapari's number one selling product. They can barely keep it in stock. Don't forget that Kapari's coconut deodorant is free of silicones, sulfates, parabens, GMOs, and baking soda. If you're ready to go ahead and say aloha to Kapari, you have to go to kaparibeauty.com awesome to make the safe switch today and see how you can save $5 off your first order. That's kapari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com awesome, kaparibeauty.com awesome. You have to use that link to get your $5 off of your first order. I have a sort of scary, possibly not awesome for fall. Oh. Pumpkin flavored tortilla chips. Oh. <laughs> I just saw those at the grocery store. They also had butternut squash. And I was like, that, I mean, that might not be the last thing I ever wanted out of a tortilla chip. I, you know, if, if yeah. I was making a list, I mean, coffee flavored would be, I could think of a lot of things, but I just don't think that needed to be pumpkin. 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we have completely and totally jumped the shark on all things pumpkin flavor. <laughs> they weren't called pumpkin spice, so they had that going, but they were definitely it was pumpkin tortilla chips. And Were you at Trader Joe's by any chance? No, I was just at my ordinary, boring local grocery. And I live in a tiny town, so it's just a small little grocery store. Pumpkin tortilla chips. Here we go what with you all those the in? That's what I was just wondering. Like what? Maybe I don't want to know. No, I don't want to know either. We're going down the pumpkin guacamole road here. This is just bad. That's a really bad idea. Everyone, let's all agree that pumpkin guacamole is a terrible idea. It's definitely the season for all things pumpkin and all things fall. And as we are getting into talking about this episode, I feel like it's always the season to talk about how we can be happier people. I mean, This is one of the areas of life where, in fact, I love the introduction that you were talking about how parenting is something that we've been looking forward to for a long time. And we get there and we're in the trenches of day-to-day parenting. Our health is fine. We have our children. We love on them. They love on us. We're living these comfortable lives. And I love you said there was nothing to complain about, but complain we did. It was just not as great as I thought it would be. Yeah, there was nothing to complain about, but complain she did is probably like what my parents. (laughs) Nevertheless, she complained. (laughs) This was like my whole childhood and early adulthood for a long time. I don't know why. We just all, you know, we find a lot to complain about. Yeah, we have to get that on a t-shirt. Nevertheless, she She complained. complained. (laughs) Get this printed and my 11-year-old is going to be the first one to get wet hot off the press. Absolutely. Yeah, I could put that on a couple of kids too. But truly, I think that the inspiration for this book is something that all of us can totally relate to. You have been really entrenched in parenting realm of not only reporting on people's personal stories, but like you even said, working on policy that affects parenting in our culture and in our country. I'm just curious, and you do kind of talk about this some in the book, but just give us a little background on where the inspiration came to like finally be like, you know what? Somebody just needs to, let's just write a book and let's just get it out there. Well, so I was doing it. I mean, we were living it. So I have this full-time job as the editor and writer of the parenting section, really, at the New York Times, the, the blog, the column, whatever. I believe vertical was the choice at the time, the trendy (laughs) name. And also I have four kids. They're going in all different directions. My spouse has a full-time job as well. We're just every day is a rat race. Every day is get up, get them out the door, get them at school, figure out what to do with them between three and five when they're not at school and we are still technically at work. And, you know, I was more flexible. So I'd be like, drive, 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 do, 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 drive, drive, drive. And then at eight o'clock, you know, get them in bed and get back on the laptop and get back to work. And it was just very, very constant stream of activity that we were experiencing and we're not feeling fun. And that was really what I was seeing as I edited and read the essay. And it's everything you've read, if you read a lot of Motherload at the time, but also the hundred pieces that didn't get there. We're almost seeing it all. And And I'm interviewing people and I'm Also doing, you know, as told to's and articles and reporting and talking to parents that don't write. We could say maybe writers are just whiners, but (laughs) across the board. So this is out there and I really want to write something deeper about it than the kind of thing that I usually write for the paper. And my first thought was definitely 
something about the whys, the policy, the culture, the things that sort of make us, that put us in this position, the fact that we don't get a lot of support externally, the fact that it's really hard to find daycare or summer camp and on to afford it, and the sort of general assumption made by everyone in the whole world, except people who are doing it, that there's someone at home with your children while you're mm. also somehow working to support them. Yes. Even though there are so many single parents in this country, that's still like the working assumption. So my first thought was that, but lots of people have written that and they've written it really well. Anne-Marie Slaughter and, and Katrina Alcorn and that book is out there. And as much as I deeply care about those things and have thoughts about ways that things could be better, I was really kind of just focused on what can we do to make this better now? Even if I may wave my fairy wand and everyone can agree that daycare is going to be easily accessible and affordable and acceptable and there'll be no stigma, all of those things, it would take a little while to get there. Plus, my kids are too old for daycare now. So the question was, like, how can what we've got be better? How can we do better in the world that we live in with the sports being the crazy things that they are, with homework being the stressor that it is, with the requirement that we get our children to school earlier than anybody wants to go anywhere in the universe that we're in? What can we do to make this better? Yes. I love that sort of like one of the driving missions of the book, as you said it in the introduction, is that this book is focused on creating the best possible family life we can have with the hand we've been dealt, like looking super realistically at all kinds of factors, economic factors, whether our children have special needs that we're also navigating, just like the whole spectrum of what creates family life. That's going to be so different for all of us, but how can all of us who are in this big boat of parenting and family life, how can we get the most out of this season of life and do it with happiness and joy? And why we should, because a yes. lot of people feel bad about that. They don't feel like it's their right to have a happy family life. They don't feel like their happiness has any place in raising children or having a family. We have a lot of guilt around happiness. Definitely. And also it just seems very frivolous. How can you be happy when there is war and poverty in the world? Sure. And yeah. so why that matters, why it makes us better people, why we should focus on the things that are great while not disregarding the things that aren't. Yeah. You may be thinking, that all sounds great, but like, how is <laughs> what I need to know. And in each chapter of this book, KJ, not only do you address like some of these main themes that keep coming up in your research and in just like your regular living life, but you really break it down into, okay, let's get super practical about it. Let's talk through. These are some possible solutions that you can look at and adapt, but here like you really do a great job of laying out what the mindset is first. And then like, okay, how does this look in action? In every single chapter you do this. And you guys, that's why I'm saying this is the parenting guide we've been waiting for because my oldest is 13 and a half, almost 14. I've read some parenting books along the way. A lot of them do a great job of talking about mindset, but when it comes to the like, but what does that mean exactly? <laughs> <laughs> that's where it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'll, I don't know. And then if you don't have that guide in place, then sometimes it just stops at mindset. And then the mindset kind of, you know, dwindles after you. Mindset is huge. Deciding that you want to make things better is a big chunk of the battle. Choosing to focus on the things that are already good. Also huge effect on your happiness. Bigger than I even realized when I wrote the book, I just found some new research about it. It's enormous. But what do I do? 
in the yes. morning. Like, what do people do? So the other thing that I did was to go out to tons and tons of parents and just say, okay, I think most of us have an area where we feel pretty good. Like, I feel pretty good about dinners. I'm good at dinner. I like to cook. We got it settled and I got my shtick. I know I got that one. Mornings, not so much. Siblings, really not so much. Chores, a constant struggle. So I just went out and was like, okay, who feels like chores? Got this. Mornings, got this. Tell me what you actually do. And I got like everything from I make a morning playlist that's timed to like our morning. I don't do this. This is somebody else. You know, that it literally like the same song comes on every day at 7.52, which is the moment that if you don't brush your teeth, and if we're not in the car by the end of the song, we're going to be late. And you could do that. Like clock in the car is like your letter grade every day, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the yes. minute you get in, did I get Yep. Did we make it? Did we yep. not? So that was cool. It's not like I would never have thought of that. I actually haven't enacted it either, although I think it's a good idea. But lots of people have, and it's great. You know, I found people whose kids, they're like, yeah, yeah, no, my kid does chores. I'm like, how? What do you do? And I had these daily chores that were like rotating around and I did a wheel. No, they were like, this is your chore this year. Yes. Whoa. And then there was other stuff around. There's hacks, I suppose, to go, you know, once again with the trendy word. There's lots and lots and lots of hacks. Once you decide you want to make it better. Yes, exactly. There's lots of hacks that actually help you live out the mindset of, you know what, we're just going to make up our minds and we are going to bring happiness into our lives. There's You guys, I just cannot even tell you. I was like, I want to start giving this to parents. It might be a little, I don't know if it would be appropriate to start giving out at baby showers. Plus most of my friends are done having babies. But like, I feel like big milestones in life, like kindergarten graduation, congratulations. Here's your copy of how to be a happier parent. You're going to need it. Because also, Another great thing is that you take this into tween and teen years. So things like screen time and like you said, chores and other dynamics of family life that sometimes drop off in terms of what gets covered in parenting talk, I feel like, cover all the bases in it. So it's super fantastic. But what I wanted to talk through today, at the very beginning of the book, you have this like little mini chapter where you talk through 10 parenting mantras that can help to build up because a lot of mindset work really starts with us and it starts inwardly. It starts with what we're telling ourselves, first of all, about like our family life in general, but also like what we're telling ourselves about this phase of life. You know, if you have a a teenager, if you have a middle schooler like I do, like a lot of it starts inwardly. And once we kind of get some resilience built up and really firm up our foundations inwardly, then we can start putting these practices into play in our homes. And then before you know it, I hope one day we look up and you go, by golly, I am happier. (laughs) So for the mantras, let's just kind of start at the beginning. I want to talk through them and then let's just talk about a little bit about how this has shown up, how we've seen it play out in our family lives. So the very first one I think is so important. What you want now isn't always what you want later. And in this mantra, you kind of talk about how we have this tendency, probably just human nature, to want to take the easy way out right now but that doesn't really help us down the road with what we want to really grow and nurture for down the road. I do this so much, especially when it comes to chores, KJ. I am the worst. Oh, me too. Me too. Because it's just so much easier if I just do it myself. It's so much easier. Let us just not lie. 
it is absolutely 100% easier to just pick the towel up off the bathroom floor yes. yourself. Yeah, it's like 20 times easier. I don't know. I don't, I can't, it's hard to quantify. It's vastly easier. The thing is that we don't realize how often we're taking that easy way out. You know, we say to ourselves, well, you know, mostly it's their job to do such and such. But then when you really take a hard look at it, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm still cleaning the kitchen like six nights out of seven. They may be doing it on the seven. Even if you wrote the darn chapter on this, as I did, I still have to revisit it like every 30 days and go, no, okay, wait, really? We're doing it again. We're just doing it ourselves. Everybody coming back to the kitchen. Dinner is over. You don't really have to go to the bathroom. Your homework can wait. Get back in here. It's a constant because it's just like, <laughs> it's easier. But it's not what we want. And it applies in other areas too. It's easier to go over your kid's math homework and make sure that it's all right. Then the teacher doesn't know what they got wrong and they are not really getting the opportunity to learn. Plus, they're not sort of learning what happens if they don't do their homework. If you've taken it on, it's easier. You can make sure everything goes fine. It feels better in the short run, but in the long run, you don't want to make everything go fine. You want to make your kid learn to do stuff. Exactly. And I'm so curious about this because you have four kids. I have four kids. And I'm also the oldest of four kids back on my family life. And, you know, some time has passed, so maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like my parents were kind of uninterested <laughs> in like making things easier for us. My parents literally never went over homework with me. Like, I don't know. It didn't even really occur to me to ask them. And if I did, they were probably like, I don't know. This is your homework. Go do it. No, that's, that's a pretty standard story. I talked to someone who, I know, because I asked people, I was like, well, how involved were your parents in your sport? Would you guys mind going and actually asking them? Those of you, you know, who still have living parents, just go check in. One person came back and she was like, I asked my mom if she ever came to any of my, she played high school soccer all through high school every year. So I asked my mom if she came to any of my games and my mom said, you played soccer? <laughs> I was like, nah, that's it in a nutshell. You played soccer? Well, great. Good job, honey. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you played soccer 15 years ago, 20 years ago. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's totally different. It's absolutely different. It's different for a lot of reasons. Some of them historical, some of them cultural. Some of them just having to do with our need to have the illusion of control, which I think our parents maybe didn't even think was on the radar. But it's absolutely true. And this is not like some glorious, glossy, 70 childhoods were lovely. I mean, some of that was not so great. But well, yeah, yeah. realistically, our parents would not have bought this book. <laughs> That's fantastic. But somewhere along the way, we sort of became convinced of, you know, I got to be super involved. And we'll talk some more about that because it really gets oh, into it. it keeps some coming up. It does. But I just think that's so good. If we need a little extra kick of inspiration, I do think that revisiting, for those of us who have like relatively healthy childhoods, kind of revisiting and being like, you know what? I absolutely did the dishes every night and I'm a perfectly functional adult for the most part. <laughs> and I got dragged around to all kinds of things I did not want to do. You're going to play in the park while we play tennis. I don't want to play in the park. We don't care. Yeah, exactly. And also, I had to find my own rides to everything. Yes. We somehow figured it out. We did a lot more problem solving than I feel like I let my kids do. No, we did less. I mean, we really yeah, did. That's, that's, that's the other thing. Just leap wildly all over the place. For those of you who have kids in sports or that play music or really you know enjoy spelling bees or do dance or something like that you may be thinking to yourself as sort of you progress through this i did something like this as a kid and i don't remember it being this big a deal 
You're absolutely right. Right. There is objectively, you can look at the history of almost everything and say, yeah, there didn't used to be this many practices. There didn't used to be this many requirements. It didn't used to be, here's your CD, play it in the car every 20, you know, until your head wants to explode because your kid's taking violin lessons. Yes. None of that did not, (laughs) it didn't used to exist. So it is objectively, there's more to do and every activity has more to it. We have all been gamed up in a variety of ways. It's not all on us. Yes. That's true. Thank you for saying that. That's so wildly affirming. Yeah, I love it's that. really I mean, not. I, I mean, that. it's there are other reasons that you make these choices. You know, one of the reasons it's easier to pick up the towel is that kid's probably doing more homework than you did if you are an upper middle class family in certain parts of the country, because there's lots of parts of the country that don't have more homework, but it does exist in some places. And that kid's got more practices and stuff like that than you did almost everywhere. That one's more universal. Yes. Focusing that first mantra really reminds you to focus on what it is that you want things to look like down the road and not always taking that pivot to the easier solution in the moment. So the second mantra, and this is kind of a more spiritual one. I've had to really sit with this one. The mantra is, there is nothing wrong. And this you talk about in the book kind of comes from a Buddhist mindset. I would love for you to explain a little bit about this because I'm not sure if I'm even approaching this in the right way, but this idea that there is nothing wrong. I had to sit with this for a long time too and sort of go back and forth about including it. I am not a Buddhist, incidentally. This is something I have to say to myself a lot because I spiral upwards, you know? Mm. The child didn't get the math homework done and now they're going to fail the test. And that means that they won't get into the good math grade class in fourth grade. And if you're not in the good math class in fourth grade, you can't take algebra as a seventh grader. If you don't take algebra as a seventh grader, you can't take geometry as a sophomore. You don't know that. You can't take calculus and then you don't. Yeah. So. And then what? I don't know. It just feels terrible though. We know that much. So I spiral up or I'll just find myself like with my shoulders and my ears and a terrible, fierce expression on my face. And for no What did I hear? What happened? And some of the time, all that happened that bothered me, you know, maybe I got an email that was disappointing or something like two hours ago, and it's still in there. I find myself saying that to myself a lot. There is nothing wrong. And it doesn't mean there is nothing wrong in Somalia. For me, right now, there is nothing wrong. And a lot of times, even when like there are some bad things going on around you, like most of the time, we're not immediately dealing with a tragedy or a really serious thing. So when we're not to, that's a lot of the mindset that keeps coming up in the book again and again. When we're not, don't act like we are. Yes, that is so true. Such a great point. When I was reading that section, it reminded me last spring, I was picking my daughter up from middle school and there was like some kind of congestion situation happening to where we had to take a different way to get out of the parking lot. The parking lot was a mess is what the moral of that story is. I think all of us can relate mm-hmm. to and that's frustrating. after school pickup angst. So I was getting so, so, so worked up and frustrated. And I just said, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. And my seventh grader at the time looked at me and she was like, mom, it's not a disaster. She said, it's just a situation. Aw, like, that's perfect. Uh, that is really brilliant. That's and I'm going to have to- second t-shirt of the episode. It's yes, not a disaster. Exactly. It's a situation. It's just a situation. And I was like, oh my gosh, Stacey, you are so right. This isn't a disaster. I was going to take like maybe two extra minutes, you know, to get out of the parking lot. It's not a disaster. But I love that mantra of there is nothing wrong. Everything is happening 
as it's happening. This is the reality. My husband is like way, way, way better at staying grounded in reality than I am. So he's often like, hey, let's just do a little reality check here. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Which is lovely, right? <laughs> yeah, especially when I'm really sped up. That's really what I would hear that. <laughs> okay. The third mantra is people, including children and especially children, change. People change. I love this one so much because speaking of my husband, he's an investment advisor. He has often said the biggest struggle he has with his clients is there's this thing in human nature where we start to believe that the way things are right now is how they're always going to be. And so like if their portfolio is doing awesome, then they want to start spending because, you know, because they think it's going to be doing awesome forever. On the flip side, if things are kind of in the tank, then they're in the tank because, oh my gosh, you know, my whatever, this has dropped and everything's terrible and now we can never retire. You know, like where we are right now, we do tend to project out and think it will always be this way. Yeah. And, you know, my child is not napping right this minute and they are never going to nap again and the nap is gone and I will never, ever have free time. My life is over. It's just all of it. And this is actually a really important one because it's not just about your own mindset. There are lots of things in this book where being a happier parent can actually is better for your kids. And this is one of them because we have to let our kids change. And sometimes we don't. And, you know, we all know not to label them. This is the smart one. This is the sporty one. But that doesn't, even if we're not saying it, it doesn't mean that in some part of our head, we're not thinking, oh, she's never going to like reading. Oh, she's never going to want to do a group sport. Oh, he'd never enjoy a spelling competition especially because we form those opinions really young. You've got to keep presenting your kids with the same opportunities that you would and the sort of the same expectations and not color everything by, you know, who they were at age five. Absolutely. That is so true. That is a great perspective to take because I was definitely looking at this idea of remembering that children are going to change. And I was thinking about it for my own self because I have certainly had a meltdown or two in my parenting history, especially over naps. Yes. <laughs> But even, you know, moving past the napping stage of parenting, thinking about like just remembering that they're going to change. But that is so important to let them change. That is a great reminder. Well, and I like to think about this also from an adult perspective. I think many of us as young adults, we remember sort of saying to ourselves, you know, I was never sporty as a kid, but I'm going to yeah. play the flag football or whatever. And I don't know, sometimes my folks would make like a huge deal of, I'd come home and be like, you know, and now I'm running because I'm trying to get healthy and be a baby. Like, you hate running. You always hated PE. I can't believe you're running. Wow. And, you know, by the end of it, you're like, okay, I'm not running anymore. Yes. Yes. I hate PE. Exactly. We can know what that feels like and then try not to do it. I can't believe you're eating tomatoes. You're such a picky eater and now you're eating every. Or I can't believe you're wearing lipstick. You've never. It's just. That's. Change is great. Like we all like to be somebody that evolves, you know, maybe I can have a clean closet now because I'm not nine. Right. <laughs> so good. So much wisdom in that. The next one on the list. Oh my goodness. I feel like I live in this mantra having a middle schooler and a fifth grader. The mantra is you don't have to go in there. I want you to tell the story of where that particular verbiage came from. Yeah, this is my favorite. This is the one I'm living by at the moment, and it changes. Like, I had this child that would have tantrums, and she would always go in her closet to have the tantrum. And my husband and I would just be like, are you going in there? I'm not going in there. <laughs> and it sort of became, often we had to go in there physically, but it became like, don't go in there mentally. Like, yeah. We didn't have to 
join in to whatever emotion that was causing the tantrum. And as the kids have gotten older, it's become even more important, especially everybody. Lots of kids have just gone back to school. So there's been a lot of transitions right now. Transitions are a time of high emotional valence. I don't don't know what the word that I'm looking for, but everything's running hot in our house. The kid that comes stomping through and screams, school is awful today and I'm never going back and I hate everybody and then sort of slams their door and disappears. You don't have to go in there. Even if you go open the door, you don't have to go down that road with them. You can just be like, wow, that sounds really tough. Pop-Tart? Exactly. Yes. It's so true. It's so true. I think that's a good point. Even if you do go into physically, like be a presence, you know, just offer some comfort. You don't have to actually. They don't want you in there. It's scary when you go in there. This gets to, I'm going to skip mantras ahead to you can be happy when your children aren't. That's another great one. Totally in line with this. People really argue with that one. No, I'm not allowed to be happy if my child is not happy. I'm only allowed to be as happy as my happiest child. That's wrong. Our kids don't want us to throw ourselves wholly in with their experiences because it's scary if we do. You know, if they think everything is awful and suddenly you think everything is awful too, whoa, maybe everything is awful. Alternatively, you're kind of fragile there, mom. Maybe we should protect you. So here's a thought. Either if you get really upset when I don't make the team, maybe I just, I shouldn't try out. Yeah. Or if you get really upset when I don't get invited to the birthday party, Maybe I just shouldn't tell you. Right. Yes. And we don't want that. Our kids need the gift of our keeping an adult perspective, right? And this goes on again into having adult kids. If you're an adult child in the middle of a divorce, you don't want your mom falling apart too. Oh my gosh. Because you can't, you know, you don't need that on top of everything else. You need to be like, well, you know, even if you're not thinking it, mom's off playing tennis, mom's good. And as the parent, it should be real. It's okay. You're not your kid and they can have their emotional experience and you can have yours. And that's actually the way it's supposed to work. Yes, it's so true. I heard a sort of similar iteration of this idea of you don't have to go in there. As my girls begin to get into the tween and teenage years, reached out to a mentoring friend to ask about like, how do I navigate these emotions? Because I'm a pretty like, emotionally perceptive person. And so sometimes I have to like really gird up my own boundaries, not even that I want to fix it just so that it doesn't affect me, you know, make me feel like life is miserable. And she said, you don't have to get on the roller coaster with her. I mean, it's the same idea. Like she will feel so safe if she knows that you're waiting on the ground. A lot of times, especially we're in this pre-adolescent, adolescent stage, all of us remember, it does feel like these chemicals in our brains have taken over. We don't even recognize our own selves, but we don't necessarily have the cognitive or emotional control to not get on the roller coaster. But at least if somebody safe is waiting on the ground for us, then we know like, okay, this is kind of miserable for me right now, but I'm going to get a big hug when I get off the roller coaster. Yeah. Lisa Damore, who writes these really wonderful books in particular about girls and adolescents, and she writes a column in the Times, She was hugely helpful to me once because she just told me that, you know, sometimes they just come and dump that on you. I think she called it dumping the trash. Like they've just brought you their bag of trash and you've held out your trash bag and they've just dumped it all in there. And now really just go put it somewhere. Exactly. (laughs) You know, don't swallow it. That's (laughs) right. Yeah. Because they're often a lot of times, she's like, a lot of times they're done. You know, they send you this crazy text that's like, I just failed Spanish and I'm never getting into college. 
by the time they come home, you're losing your mind because in your mind they've just failed, failed Spanish, and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, I, it was just a quiz." Yeah, <laughs> it was just a quiz. <laughs> it's so true. For those of you who do not have kids yet in this age range, just wait because it is always so true. And then the best thing we can do is like make sure that we're like, uh, okay. Well, I'm and you know something else I like yes. to say about you know having teens and preteens. I think it's great. It's amazing. A lot of people are like, oh, teenagers. I can't believe there's so many teenagers in the house. Partly this is mindset, but partly it's just, no, they're great people finding themselves. And as long as I'm not sort of piled up with a need that they do certain things or be certain things or achieve certain things, which I'm really not, I think it's a great time. I love it. I am such a better teen mom than I ever was a toddler mom. I was (laughs) real bad at toddlerhood. Yeah, I find toddlers really difficult. The teenage years so far have been so fun. They're real people. You can laugh with them and joke with them and you have private jokes and it's just, I I love it. Yeah. I mean, and can they make big mistakes? Yeah. But that, you know, you really want them to do that on your watch, not after they're gone. So that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This next one also a struggle for me. So I'm really going to have to like put this in front of my eyeballs where I can remember this. If you see something, don't always say something. And this one really, I think, comes to fruition in my life because I want to, I don't want to, but I feel like compelled to get- Yeah, you feel like you have to. to get in the middle of every squabble and every, this person did this and this person's crying. And again, my parents did not do very much of that. (laughs) Only when it was like flashing red lights everywhere, intense. But a lot of the squabbles, especially between my sister, who's 14 months younger than me, they just let us figure it out. And sometimes it got physical and they were just like, just, you know, don't break any furniture. Yeah. But yeah, you don't always have to say something even when you're aware that a thing is happening. No, you really don't. And you know, if it's not siblings, it's the child who's like, I don't know, scraping the pencil back and forth over their paper for no, it's just annoying. Or, you know, like opening the cabinet and closing it and opening the cabinet and closing it and opening, the, you know, and you just, you feel like you need to say, or twirling their hair. Unless that's a debilitating, I know for some people that's, there's some issue there, but you don't have to be like, don't suck on your hair. Don't bite your nails every time. I mean, you know, sometimes, but I find that what's often happening is one kid, because you and I, we've got lots of kids. So one kid is going through something. And so that kid is the one that's doing the thing. So if you're saying something every time, you'll look up and suddenly realize all I've said to this kid for three days is stop that. Don't do that. I can't believe you did that. That's when you got to go, okay, I need to let some of this stuff, I need to let some of it pass without saying something. That you don't, I mean, I think that's so good. I almost feel like social media in a way has trained our brains because there's that response box everywhere you turn, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, you can leave your commentary wherever you want. It almost feels like we should have that rolling dialogue at home of commenting on everything that's happening. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. And it's the same thing like, It used to be like if somebody called you and was like, hey, can you give me so-and-so's phone number? You'd be like, sure, it's 647-whatever. And then they'd say thanks and they'd hang up and it was over. But now it's like, can you give me their number? Sure. Thanks. Oh, no problem. Well, I was really grateful. (laughs) Yeah, it was nothing. I just happened to have it. I hope it worked out. Oh, yeah, I was able to call them. Can we just end this email chain now, please? Seriously. And definitely, I think it can work its way into how we are navigating these dynamics with our kids. So yeah, so true. Okay. The next one I think is so important. And this is like, I hope that this is something that our culture is really grasping. And this simple mantra, you do you. 
Like some people's parenting is going to look like this. Some people's is going to look like that. We're not having actual contests with each other. <laughs> so do the things that are right for you. Well, and we all are doing something. What I want people to know is that you are doing something that other people think is awesome. Whether that is, you know, baking cookies at every holiday or traveling or making a point of hiking all the 40 footers or you play guitar and so all your kids are all learning a musical instrument too or you're growing your own tomatoes on the balcony and the kids are helping. You do something and it may be something really glamorous sounding. You may be a trapeze circus artist, but trapeze circus artist thinks that baking cookies in a kitchen is fantastic too. Like we've all got a thing. It's just that you can't see your thing. Right. Because maybe it comes easily or naturally to you, or it's just like an understood part of your family's culture. I think all of us struggle to affirm like what we're doing good, maybe even in our own personal lives. But if it's just a natural part of your family dynamic, it is so hard to see like, oh, we're actually super great at this part of family life. And then with other stuff, like you really, you can't do everything. I mean, my kids and I were at this party. I've never been at a party that took a turn like this before. It was so wonderful. We all ended up sitting around a campfire while the mother and the daughter played guitar and everyone sang. Do not think that my life looks like that because it does not. But I turned to my son afterwards and I was like, you know, sort of like, you know, man, I wish we played the guitar. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, of course, realistically, we just wish yeah. we played the guitar. We don't You're actually right. want to learn to play. And he was yeah, like, yeah, no, no. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that looks great, but you can't right. do all of it. Most of us aren't going to push kids. I mean, you know, a lot of times you think, well, I wish I'd learned that as a kid. Right. So you're going to learn yes. And sometimes that takes and sometimes it doesn't. But a lot of the time it's just true. Yeah, I wish I did that. But that doesn't necessarily mean I actually want exactly. to do it or do the work it takes to get there or give up the things that I do yes. that are instead. Well, and to, I mean, to go back to the social media thing, my personal belief is that human beings, as we were wired to be in this world, we're not meant to be as exposed to as many people. Like we were meant to be like sort of in our tribes, you know, in our small communities. And now we see what everybody's doing in our own hometowns and across the world. And it's just like overwhelming all the things that you could be doing. And so somehow figuring out how to dial that back so that you're really kind of like focused in on what do we do well and let's, you know, keep building up these systems it can be a little tricky when we have so much stimulation coming in from so many places. All right. I kind of want to put these next two mantras together because they feel really connected to me. The first one of this list that I want to put together is decide what to do, then do it. And then the very next mantra that you have, I think is a great follow-up is you don't have to get it right every time. And I super struggle with deciding what to do and then doing it. I am definitely a waffler. Like, should we do this or do that? Because I have this inward pressure, like I have to make the right decision. I have to make it right now. And if I don't, then it's going to be, guess what? A disaster. <laughs> it might just be a situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you won't get a do-over. There's not going to be another chance. Exactly. But I think that that's so important, especially as we look at it from behind the eyes of our kids. They may not like the decision that we land on, but they want to know, like, I can trust that they're going to make a decision and we're going to stick to it. Yeah, I thought that was so good. Yeah, I just think that one applies. I mean, I use that one sort of all the time. And it's usually like, I have 40 minutes and I don't know what to do with it. And it's like, well, I could decide to do something and do it. Or I could sort of empty the dishwasher and do nothing with it. So there's that. Or there's the, can we go and do such and such and make it, you know, like you said, 
make a choice. Don't go back and forth about it. Or if you need to punish a kid, make a choice about what you're going to do and then stick with it. If you do it in haste, this is not, you know, that's the thing. You can usually go back and change your mind. I mean, that's sort of another question, but you're going to get another chance at this and it's okay. Sometimes you decide to go get the strep test on Monday and sometimes you wait till Friday. I, girl, listen, <laughs> my kids, especially my- We're right there this Well, weekend. yeah, we've already gone through those. Let's, should I do a strep test or not? I don't know. I have gotten to the point I've gone in for so many strep tests. I'm usually like, let's just go, whatever, if it's negative and then we still have problems. I know the drill. We'll go back in this many days. I remember when my oldest, when she was the only child, the whole thing was like ear infections. Oh, she's running a little fever. She's cranky. Does she have an ear infection? Should I go in? Should I not? You know, so sometimes, obviously, when there's health things on the line, it does feel a little bit more high stakes. And that's natural. But then sometimes it's like, are we going to watch TV right now or not? Should they have screen time right now or not? And we're like, oh, we overthink something that's in the grand scheme of things, not that high of stakes. <laughs> no, it's really not. Just, you know, make a decision. and Yeah. And if it is the wrong one, or if it, you know, it didn't work out, then guess what? You know better for next time. And I don't have to get it right every time. Right, exactly. It goes back to, there is nothing wrong. Like, we're good. This is the way it is right now. Okay. Last one. I love this one because it really does end on an awesome note of your list of 10 parenting mantras is soak up the good which I think is so important when you are in the trenches because we're thinking like, what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? What's next on my agenda? Where is my agenda? You know, we're just yes. like, ah, oh, crazy brained all the time. And how important it is to just stop. Like when, even if it's a moment, you even mentioned this, like even if you're just in the car and like nobody's squabbling, just like be in that moment. We are just like right now, we're at peace. <laughs> or even when they are squabbling, like, you know, that's okay because I mean, I didn't really write this in there, but one of the things I come back to is there are moments in your life when you will wish you were back in the yes, car with the squabbling yes. children. You know, you'll get the phone call about a family member or the job or whatever, and all you'll be able to think is, man, yesterday, yesterday was good. And so the goal, this is yesterday for most of us, you know, unless, unless yeah. you're in the middle of it. And what I learned, I said at the beginning of our talk that I saw, I found some new research about this because I've sort of wondered, well, what if things are really bad? Like, does it help to focus on good stuff when you're really suffering? And the answer, it turns out, is yes, that there is interdisciplinary research that where you put your focus affects your happiness. So even if your day included chemotherapy, there's actually this lovely woman, Winifred Gallagher, who wrote a book on exactly that topic called Wrapped. If you choose at the end of the day to reflect on your walk, if you took one or whatever you were able to do that was a good thing, you can feel happy. Because I'm not in that position, I don't want to be telling people you must feel happy. And it wasn't like, and you will then right. be healthier if you feel, it wasn't anything like that at all. It was just, you know, where you put your attention is where your mood will come from. So if you put your attention on the bad stuff, which is our inclination as humans, like we're wired to search for the tiger. And to remember where the tiger is and to think all the time about the tiger that's behind the bush. That's the way we're wired. But there right. aren't that many tigers right. in modern society. And so we're really allowed to train our brains to focus on the good stuff. I love that. And I think that's a perfect way to end this. Again, you guys, I know I'm gushing about this book, but I feel like there's nothing like this out there right now for the modern parent who wants a really clear-eyed but also joy-filled approach to parenting. So again, the book is How to Be a Happier Parent, KJ 
Thank you so much for taking the time. Before we wrap up, I want everyone to know where we can go and find you on social, where we can find the book, all of the places that we can find you if we want to check out more from you. Oh, thank you. The book's easy to find. It's in any bookstore or anywhere that books are sold. You can find me at kjdelantonia.com. And that's pretty easy because if you just start trying to spell it, you're going <laughs> to probably end up with me. Just head out there and do it. And I'm at kjdelantonia on all the major things, except Instagram where I am at kjda. But that's mostly like, hey, there are lots of awesomes who are going to be like, I want more pictures of chickens in my Instagram feed. More chickens. Yes, please. Definitely. <laughs> Oh, I'm so thankful that you were able to take the time to come. This has been a great conversation. As a reminder, you all can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. The show's over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. KJ, I hope you guys have a beautiful fall ahead of you up there in New Hampshire. I'm sure it will be gorgeous. Oh, thank you. And this was so fun. So fun. All right, awesomes. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to SortaAwesomeShow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.